here in uh, Mark chapter 3. And remember a couple weeks ago when we did uh, see this, uh, we were in this book and in this chapter, we saw the, the final words of Jesus as he had his confrontation with the scribes that traveled from Jerusalem. And in that instance, he spoke of the unpardonable sin, which uh, is, of course, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And this is, in essence, unbelief. Uh, Just to kind of give you a summary of that, because no soul can come to the saving knowledge of God for forgiveness uh, if they do not have faith in Christ for salvation. Uh, So prior to this, though, if you remember, uh, I think maybe it was three weeks ago, Jesus' family was concerned about his well-being, and they thought that he was out of his mind because he was doing the will of God. They thought that uh, he was out of his mind for doing what God had sent him to do. So I want to take you back there to verse 20 and 21, just for context's sake. So look at that uh, before we dig into our text. Look at uh, verse 20 and 21 of chapter 3. It says, And the multitude cometh together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. So here people were crowding Jesus in this house so much that they could not even eat. It was so packed in there. Look at verse 21. And when his friends, and we know that that friends is his family, uh, heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said he is beside himself. Again, meaning out of his mind. He's crazy. Uh, so the, the interaction with the scribes, though, it interrupted Mark's explanation of this issue with Jesus' family. And now, uh, where we're going to see this morning, Mark returns to the situation with his family, as they were seeking him, and they were looking to stop him from putting himself out there and uh, doing what he was doing and, and working miracles. And, but as Jesus, as he deals with this problem with his family, what he does then is he teaches everybody around him the importance of obedience in the Christian life. So let's look at Mark chapter 3. Look at verse 31. And we'll finish the chapter here. It says... There came then his brethren and his mother, and standing without, sent unto him, calling him. And the multitude sat about him, and they said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. And he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brethren? And he looked round about on them which sat about him, and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and my mother. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. I thank you uh, that you don't leave us on this earth clueless about what you want us to do, about your will. Lord, we know what you want us to do. I pray that this morning as your word is preached, uh, that you will uh, prick the hearts of those that are lost and uh, challenge uh, the hearts of those that are saved that you'll just help us to be more obedient to you and to be more submitted to you, Lord. I pray that you'll just uh, help me, Lord, to say exactly what you want me to say and just to preach your word properly and to rightly divide the word of truth. And we thank you uh, for what you're going to do in our hearts this morning. Uh, I just pray that you'll appoint lost sinners to you, God. And I thank you for what you're going to do this morning in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. In our text this morning, in in Mark chapter 3, Jesus informs everybody that is around him, that there is one hallmark of a true believer in Christ. There's one thing that will be evident in the life of every person that is truly born again, 
The, the evidence of a new heart, the indication of a true believer in Christ and the hallmark of a true Christian is obedience to the word of God. And at the moment of salvation, every believer in Christ, they have come to a fork in the road where they have decided that they are going to go in the way of God instead of their own way. When one places their faith and trust in Christ in that moment, they have, they have died to self, they have surrendered to the will of Christ, and they now actively seek to live in obedience to God. And in this passage of Scripture, what we're going to see this morning is that Jesus is demanding obedience to God, and it is non-negotiable. Now, if you sat here under the preaching of God's Word any amount of time, then you know that we are not saved by being obedient to God. Okay? Let me just get that out of the way. It's not by works. We're not saved by being obedient to God, but the result of our salvation is obedience to God. So today, we're going to just see how those that come to the saving knowledge of Christ, how we have been given a new heart by God, and this new heart, it causes us to hate that which God hates. It causes us to desire to do what He desires, and we now have a heart that is bent towards God and a heart that is bent away from evil and how we are now in pursuit of God's will for our life and not our own will. Now, does this mean that we are going to live this out perfectly at all times? Of course not. There's no sinless perfection here on earth. But when we go against God and we sin, we will be grieved for His child. We will certainly sin, but no true child of God will stay living in sin. Because God will either bring that child home, or he will chastise them, because whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And I would certainly be fearful to bank on a salvation that does not bring chastisement on a life of perpetual disobedience. The evidence of the new birth is obedience to God and His Word. That's what Jesus is saying here. That's what we're going to see this morning. Uh, this truth is so important for everybody here today. This is a, a key truth. And, and I say that it is a key truth because, you know, there are many, uh, even in churches probably this morning, that teach that one can be saved and yet live as if God does not even exist. We kind of heard about it in the Sunday school this morning. I told Mike, you preach, it, you preach my message. How dare you? And Paul does that all the time. Uh, but many teach and they'll preach that one could be saved and yet live a life full of sin and completely ignore the commands of God. And especially in this day and age, when people hate the idea of obedience and submission, uh, it's so despised in our culture, but this is an essential truth, but it so often gets pushed aside. But to ignore this truth is to ignore the truth of God. To ignore this truth is to ignore the words of Christ. So I hope to expose this error and reveal the necessity of obedience this morning. So let's again look into our text, starting with verse 31. We'll dig in here now. Look at verse 31. It says, There came then his brethren and his mother, and standing without sent unto him, calling him. Now again, we see this is a continuation of the narrative that started in verse 20 and 21. We're told that Jesus' family were standing without. This means that they were on the outside of the house looking in. A.T. Robertson describes this uh, as a pathetic picture of the mother and brothers of Jesus standing on the outside, likely at Peter's house, thinking that God, our, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, was beside himself, and they desired to take him home. 
I mean, you can just imagine how they were on the outside, and, and maybe they were calling for Jesus and saying, oh, Jesus, come on, let's go, come on, let, let's take you home now, as if uh, he was some child. Now, you could say that this was somewhat of a, a family intervention, as the, the family was looking to get Jesus under control. And by the way, may I say, under their control, not under the control uh, that he should have been under, but they thought he was insane for what he was doing, and they were trying to get his attention and stop him from ministering. And as I mentioned this before, before this uh, passage implies the truth, that at times as we live our life for God, especially if you have lost family members, you understand that at times your family too may think that you've lost your mind. You decide to live in obedience to God, and uh, maybe they think, you know what, you've just, you just gone over the edge. Or you're too radical of a Christian. Uh, you're too committed to church, or you're too committed to the things of God, or you're too committed to the service of God. They may think that you are insane for doing what you're doing, for living a life that's committed to God. But if that is the case, you're in good company. For Jesus Christ himself had this happen. But the family of Jesus, they did not only seek him, they sent word through the crowd in order to get his attention. Look again at verse 31. Look at the latter part there. And standing without, sent unto him, calling him. And the multitude sat about him, and they said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. So as Jesus got word of this, he put an eternity of distance between himself and his natural family. His response shows us, and this is very important, his response shows us that our spiritual tie to God transcends every physical relationship that we have on this earth. Look at verse 33. And he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brethren? Now this statement would actually be a very polarizing statement, to say the least, uh, because in Jewish culture, family was priority. Family was number one. Uh, and Jesus, he asked a very thought-provoking question. Uh, he says, who is my mother or my brethren? And this question was more of a statement than anything. But with this statement, I want you to understand, he was not looking to bash or diminish his family. He was not looking to bash his earthly relationships. He was not being careless when uh, it came to his physical family. I want you to know this morning, God wants you to take care of your family. God wants you to love your mother and your father and your, your brothers and your sisters. He, he's not, this is not disputing that. This is not contradict that. Uh, and Jesus Christ himself, he loved his family. He loved his mother. In fact, he proved his love for his mother even up until the point of death. Let's hold our place in Mark chapter 3 and go to John 19 to see this. Keep your place in Mark 3, go to John 19. We'll start at verse 25. And look at verse 25, and we'll read down to verse 27. John 19, 25, it says, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother, and the disciples standing by whom he loved, which was John, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour the disciples took her unto his own home. 
So what, what do we see here? We see great concern for Jesus Christ as he bled and died and he was being crucified on that cross. He had great concern for his mother. He looked at John and he ensured uh, him that he knew that he now had the responsibility of taking care of Jesus' earthly mother. Uh, and, and he laid this responsibility on his shoulder. So it's very clear that Jesus loved and was concerned for his physical family. So with this question, well, who is my mother and my brethren? Again, he was not diminishing his love for his physical family, but this is what he was doing, church. He was elevating the relationship that he had with his heavenly father and his children. And we know this to be true from Jesus' next statement. Go back to Mark 3 and look at verse 34 again. He says, who is my mother and my brother in verse 33? And then in verse 34, he says, and he looked round about on them, which sat about him, and said, behold, my mother and my brother. So Jesus, he now brings clarity to the question that he just asked. And, and we're told here that really his eyes swept the whole circle of his audience in this house. And, and Matthew's account of this tells us that he stretched out his hands towards the disciples towards his followers as he made that statement, Behold, my mother and my brethren. And I imagine Jesus speaking this phrase here, not with anger, not with uh, malice, but I imagine him speaking it with a smile. As he, as he uses these nouns to figuratively make this point that his disciples were his ultimate family. When he, when he makes his point to tell people that his disciples were his everlasting family, and then Jesus brings more clarity to his statement from verse 34 by informing everybody how they know that they are part of his spiritual family, which is going to be the focal point of our text. And after this, we're going to go to several places. So get ready. Look at verse 35, Mark chapter 3. He says, For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same as my brother and my sister and mother, I want you to consider this morning, as you sit here and hear from the Word of God, I want you to ask you this question, are you part of the family of God? If you were to be sitting there in this room that Jesus was in as he said that, would he be able to point to you and say, behold, my mother and my brother? Jesus very decisively declared that those that do the will of God are part of his family. Now, it's important to break down these words so that we have a proper understanding of what Jesus is saying here. He's showing us that there is truly a hallmark of, true, of a true disciple. There, there will be evidence that one is a believer in Christ and born again. And the, the defining characteristic that Jesus mentioned uh, that of one that is truly in his family, he says they are doing the will of God. Now this will of God that Christ speaks of, it comes from a Greek word that means the commands and the precepts of God. So where is where do we find the commands and precepts of God? Right here in this book, in his word, in the Bible. And there's a, a key verb prior to that. He says, do. This verb, of course, it underscores actively doing the will of God, actively doing what God has uh, told us to do, actively obeying his commands and his precepts. It is in action, doing God's will, doing what God says. Uh, and I like uh, what one person said. He says that Jesus did not say whoever approves of his word is part of his family. 
He, said, he does not say that those that think about his word or those that like his word or uh, those uh, that meditate on his word. No, he says those that do his word are part of his spiritual family. Now this is something that Jesus so often taught about. Uh, this is a, a truth that the apostles wrote about in much of scripture. And that is the fact that true faith in God will always lead to obedience to his word. Let's go to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Look at John 14. Look at verse 15. John chapter 14, verse 15. The Bible says, and Jesus is speaking again here. And we'll look at a couple places here in, in John. John chapter 14, verse 15. Jesus says, and this is, of course, in the context of prayer, but this is what he says in verse 15. If ye love me, keep my commandments. Look at verse 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved to my father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Judah saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it? that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world. And Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. And my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. And the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. So Jesus is very clearly teaching here that those uh, that love God, they will be obedient to his word. They will be habitually seeking to obey the commands of God that is an evidence of one that is truly decided to follow Christ. Now, verse 24, it, it very plainly tells us that those that are rejecting Christ, they are lost in their sins. They do not desire to obey the word of God. They continue to live in disobedience and in rebellion uh, against God. In fact, in Ephesians 2, what did Paul call those that rejected Christ? He called them the children of disobedience. And listen, church, we know that lost people will do lost people things. Lost people are going to act lost because they are lost. But somebody, when they come to know Christ as their Savior, they turn away from their sin. They are turning to Christ. And I want you to know that when this happens, God gives them a new heart. Amen. And it has nothing to do with our willpower. It has nothing to do with our discipline, and it has everything to do with the new birth that God creates in us when we become new creatures in Christ. It has nothing to do with us and everything to do with the power of the Holy Spirit that God puts in His children. And God, He gives us a wonderful description of the new birth in the Old Testament that applies to all that trust in Christ for salvation today. Let's turn back to Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36. And uh, we'll look at a few verses here. And I'll give you a minute if you don't know where Ezekiel is. <laughs> no, it's not somewhere we typically go to, but uh, all of God's word is profitable, isn't it? Ezekiel 36, look at verse 25. Ezekiel 36, verse 25. says, Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean from all your filthiness. And from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you. And a new spirit 
will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of the flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. And ye shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers, and ye shall be my people, and I will be your God. Now, this passage is describing God's renewing of Israel for his name's sake. It's a description of what will happen at the millennial reign of Christ. But in this, we see a beautiful picture of what God does today for all those that become his children the moment they repent and believe on Christ. We see here uh, forgiveness, regeneration, conversion, indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and a responsive obedience to the law of God. And this is what happens when one comes to the saving knowledge of Christ, the Holy Spirit of God, indwells that believer, and then it leads them to be obedient to the Word of God. Let's look at a New Testament example. Uh, the Apostle John wrote about this in 1 John. Let's go there. Uh, we are probably all pretty familiar with 1 John. And John spoke about this a lot, uh, just the test of true salvation so that they could separate those which were uh, really wolves in sheep's clothing from those that are truly saved. Look at 1 John. We'll look at a few places here. Look at uh, 1 John 2.29. 1 John 2. The Bible says, 1 John 2.29, If you know that he is righteous, speaking of Christ, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. That doeth means practicing. Those that are practicing righteousness, they are born of God. Look at uh, chapter 3, verse 24. It says in verse 24, He that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him, and hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. So we see here, church, that true obedience, it requires humility, it requires submission, it requires regeneration. And this type of obedience, I want you to know, it's only born out of a new heart that is given to us by God as we place our faith and trust in Christ. It is then that we have new life, we have a new heart, we have a new mindset, and we become new creatures in Christ. We all know the verse. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And it is then that we desire to obey God. And I want to say this. We obey God from the heart. Listen to this. Not just externally. How often have we seen this with the Pharisees in Mark? Unlike the Pharisees that only appear to obey God in order to be viewed favorably in the eyes of men, true believers, they desire to be obedient to God out of love for Him. Because He loved us, and He proved it by dying on the cross for our sins, guess what? We now love Him. We have a heart of love for God, and true obedience from the heart uh, is really what distinguishes a professor of Christ from a possessor of Christ. Obedience from the heart is a distinguishing mark of a true Christian. Romans chapter 6 verse 17 says, Ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. So look church, if you're saved, you've been given this new birth that causes you to no longer desire to live in rebellion to God, but rather in obedience to Him. This new birth caused us to no longer have a heart that's bent toward doing every wicked desire that I could possibly imagine, but rather have a heart that's bent towards doing the will of God. 
This new heart uh, and this new nature causes obeying the commandments of God to no longer be a burden, but rather a delight. I want to ask you this morning, do you delight in obeying Christ? Do you delight in obeying God? The Apostle John also wrote by the inspiration of God that we know that we're children of God by our obedience to his word out of love. Look at uh, 1 John chapter 5. It should be there still. Look at verse 2. Verse 2 of 1 John chapter 5. It says, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. They're not burdensome. And this is very clear. We know we love the children of God. We know that we're a child of God when we love God and we keep His commandments. We know that we love God when we desire to obey His commands out of joy and not of grief. And this is why in Mark chapter 3, Jesus said that those that do the will of God are part of His family. And now look, those that say that they are His child and yet they live in perpetual disobedience to God with no grief, no remorse, no repentance, I want you to hear me very clearly that they are standing on very shaky ground, to say the least. There are many that claim to have this new birth. They, they claim to be a Christian, and we know, you, you probably know some yourself, but they claim to be a Christian, and yet they continue to live the same life of sin and continue to do the same things they always have, and there's no change, there's no new heart, there's no new nature. And, and it made me think of when I was considering this, what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 46. He said, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? I'm afraid that that question could be asked of many that claim to be in the faith. And again, this is just a key Bible truth that many have thrown aside in order to appease those that think that they're saved, but really they're on the road to hell. A.W. Tozer spoke on this by saying that to escape the error of salvation by works, we have fallen into the opposite error of salvation without obedience. Obedience is not legalism. It's a symptom of genuine salvation. The Bible recognizes no faith that does not lead to obedience, nor does it recognize any obedience that does not spring from faith. These two are opposite sides of the same coin. Now, there are many that claim that Christ is their Savior, that yet they have no interest in anything that He says. They have no desire to be obedient to His Word and to be on this path. It's a fearful thing. And listen, listen very carefully. If this is where you're at this morning, I would be terrified. Look, are you part of the family of God? Are you living your life seeking to please God and striving to be obedient to Him? Do you desire to forsake your will and obey God's will? Has He given you this new heart and uh, given you a new nature and new desires? You know, the very definition of biblical repentance that brings salvation is, is, again, us turning from our sin and turning to Christ. It is me understanding that the holy God of heaven, He can have no part in sin. And because He can have no part in sin, because I am a sinful man and because you are a sinful person, therefore He can have no part with you. And this salvation, again, it's me turning to Christ and trusting in only Him for forgiveness from God. It is me trusting in Christ alone to reconcile me to God. Because of the fact that He came to earth and He lived a perfect life and He bled and He suffered and He died and He rose again so that sinful man could be reconciled to God. 
And when I trust in Christ and his sacrifice, it is then that I'm given uh, this new nature and that brings obedience to God. It is then I'm adopted into the family of God and given his spirit. So listen, again I ask, does that describe you? If you do not have this new nature, if the spirit of God is not indwelling in you, as Romans chapter 8 tells us, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So if you've not trusted in Christ for salvation and you've not become a new creature in Christ, if you do not have the Spirit of God this morning, then my friend, you must be born again. What does Jesus say in John chapter 3? Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, I say all of this not to cause those that are truly children of God to doubt their salvation. That's the last thing I want to do. So hear me clearly. I say all this to warn those that think all is well, while there has been no change, to examine ourselves to see if we are actually on the road to hell instead of in the flock of God. I was thankful last week when I I talked to my brother, and um, as most of you know, he's a pastor in Millnocket, and he said, you know, they had their Easter service, and, and, and things went, went well. They had a couple of visitors. Um, but, you know, I, he said that, you know, after the service, I, I went to the car. And it's just a small church. He said, I went to the car in the parking lot, and I was kind of discouraged. And because as a pastor, you just naturally, you want people to get saved, right? I mean, it, you study, you, you preach, your heart out, and you want people to get saved. You want people to be committed to Christ. Uh, and if, you know, he said, I invited a bunch of people. None of them came uh, and, and all this stuff. And he said, He's feeling a little bit discouraged, and then he goes to his car. And then all of a sudden, this lady from his church comes running up to him and knocks on the window and, and says, Pastor, and he say, he's like, what, what? And like, she's freaking out. And he says, David just got saved in the parking lot. And he's like, what? And was, well, who's David? Well, David is a 78, 78-year-old man, been in church all of his life. Been going to this church for four years, and Jacob has only been there for a few months, but it's been, uh, he's been going to church, this church for four years. He was out in the parking lot with this lady and this couple, actually, and, and this lady said to David, she said, we need to pray for so-and-so because they're not saved. We need to pray that they come to the saving faith of Jesus Christ and pray for them. And then David, to her surprise, said, well, you know, I don't know that I'm saved. And she was just as shocked as anybody would have been. So then she explained the, the gospel, which he, he, of course, had heard inside the church. And she asked if this was something that he, was, that he would do if he was trusting in Christ. He said, yes. And he said, let's, let's pray about it right now. And she said, well, do, she, the lady said, well, do you want me to lead you in a prayer? And he's like, well, I, I suppose. But then she didn't even get a chance to lead him in prayer. He just started praying and saying, God, forgive me for my sin. I'm trusting in you. She, did, she didn't have to lead him through anything. She just, he just trusted in Christ right there and prayed. What, do we, what, what does the Bible say in Romans chapter 10? Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. That is what he did. So I asked you this morning, could that be so with you? In one of his sermons, Charles Spurgeon, he appealed to lost sinners with this, these words. He said, oh, my poor friends, would it not be better for you to be reconciled to the God of heaven than to be his enemy? What are you getting by opposing God? Are you the happier for being his enemy? Hast thou found delight in that cup? 
And so I ask every soul this morning that is just rejecting God. You come here maybe week after week and, and you're just turn, turn away from the things of God. What do you have to gain from opposing God? To continue in your pride and pretend that all is well when it is not, is not worth it. I mean, consider this. Do you have joy and happiness in your life rejecting God day after day after day? Do you have peace? No, of course you don't. Because we know that those that repent and believe the gospel, they are blessed. So if you're here this morning and you're like that man, and you're just, you're just pushing God away, you need to rid yourself of that pride and be saved this morning. The happiest life that somebody can live is a life of obedience to God. And that goes with being obedient to the call of salvation, but it also goes with being obedient to every precept of God as his child. Obedience to God brings happiness and blessing. Let's go to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Psalm 119, and look at verse 1. Psalm 119, verse 1. It says in Psalm 119, verse 1, Blessed, and let me just stop there, that means happy. Hey, listen, are you happy this morning? Are you joyful? Look at it again. Blessed are the undefiled in the way. Who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies. And that seek him with the whole heart. This reminds me of Jesus as he said in John 13. If you know these things. Happy are ye if ye do them. Look joy is always tied to obedience to the word of God. If you're here this morning. True happiness in your life is not going to be found by doing your own thing. True happiness will never be found in doing what you think is right in your own eyes or you living your own way or trying to live a life of pleasure while you live in sin because sin only brings misery. Only, uh, only living for Christ and living the life which God intends us to live is what's going to give us true happiness and true joy because living for ourselves, it only brings emptiness. But living the life that God wants us to live, which is a life of obedience to his word, is a life of joy. And I think of uh, my kids. You know, I have young kids, as you, most of you well know. And a lot of times if I turn the burner on, the stove burner, I, I, I'll be sure to warn the kid and say, hey, look, don't touch the, the stove because it's burning. It's hot. And uh, do I tell them that because I don't want them to have a good time? I don't tell them that because I want to ruin their life. I don't tell them that because I want to ruin a good time. I do it. I tell them that because I care about them. I love them. And I want what's best for them. And the same goes with the things of God. Obedience to God always is there for our own good because our Father knows best. Obedience, it brings joy to the children of God. So if you're a child of God this morning, I, I want to encourage you to take comfort in the, the assurance of your salvation. Be thankful. If you have that desire to please God, man, thank God for that. And realize that obedience to his word, it brings joy. But along with that, as Jesus said in Mark chapter 3, 
that those that do the will of God, those that obey my word and obey my precepts, they are my, my, my brother, my sister, my mother. I want you to realize also that you and I could most certainly be more fully devoted to Christ in some area of our life. We all could be more obedient to God's word and to his precept in some area. And I want, to, I want you to know, and I'll even confess this morning, that there's nobody in our presence, and that includes myself, that is too committed to Jesus Christ. There's none. Nobody here, including myself, is too committed to God. There's nobody here that is doing too much in service to Him. And I've never had a time in my life where I had to tell myself or somebody else, to stop being a, such a gospel witness so much. It, look, just stop. Right? I've never had to say, man, you got to, to myself, man, Jeremiah, you got to stop handing out so many tracts. you got to stop witnessing so many people. you got to be a little bit less burdened for those souls that are on their way to hell. I've never had to tell myself that. I've never had to tell anybody that. I've never had to tell myself that I'm praying too much. Never. In fact, I know that I do it too little. I've never found myself being too obedient to God. I've not yet found somebody that's just too gospel focused and just, again, just witnesses to others too much or that just knocks on too many doors or hangs too many door hangers. I've never, never had that. Chris came close last year one time. But, <laughs> but I've never had to tell anybody that they're giving to the work and the ministry of God too much. I've never seen anybody, and I've never experienced this myself, where I'm just reading the Bible too much. I'm just, I'm just studying the Word of God too much. I, I've not found anybody that just desires to attend church too much. I've not once found anybody, including myself, that is too sold out to the work and the will of God. Each one of us here, if we're children of God, we could more, most certainly be more committed to Christ in some way or another. We could all be more devoted to being obedient to the will of God. So what each Christian this morning needs to ask himself is this, in what area must I be more obedient to Christ? Christ, of course, is our example of this. As he said in John 4, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. That, what was he saying? He was saying, I get satisfaction from being obedient to God and accomplishing His work. Does that describe you? Again, in what area of the Christian life does that not describe you? Where are you holding back? Now I get it, I know, that, that daily choosing to follow Christ is a struggle. Is it not? It is a struggle. But for those that are His... We have the Holy Spirit of God which enables us to be obedient to God's word. And as Mike said this morning, it diminishes the power of sin in our life. Listen, when the mirror of his word exposes our sin, we need to obey him and forsake whatever that sin is in our life. When the word of God tells us to do something, we need to do it. Now thank God... He gives us grace in this journey because, again, at times it is a struggle just submitting to God. And, and, and sin in our life is a struggle many times. But I want you to 
I want you to know this morning, if you're running from being obedient to God in any area, he is lovingly calling you to cling to him and obey him because he loves all that are his. I was moved earlier this week and many times when I thought about it, when I, I was listening to a sermon about, I believe it was about purity and just about the love of God. And I was moved when the person preaching made the, the very important point that when we sin, as, when we're God's children and we sin, you understand that God is not like what a lot of preachers will make him out to be. He's not up in heaven with his arms crossed looking at us, all angry at us, and saying, how dare you do that? When I sin, when I go against God, you understand God's not up there looking at me and saying, Jeremiah, what is wrong with you? Why would you do that? No, you know what he's doing? Instead, he's grieved. He's not mad. He, he, he desires and he's calling me to come back to him because he loves me. He, this, the, this, this pastor said that it would be like a child that's lost out in the woods and the father's behind him looking for him, yelling for him, and just wants him to come back because he loves his child so much. And then when that child finally sees the father again after being lost uh, and worried and scared out of his mind, he just runs to his father and he clings to his leg and he doesn't want to let go. That is what God wants us to do. If we're not being obedient to him, he wants us to run to him and to cling to him and to be more submitted to him because he loves us. That's what he wants. He's not mad. I, just, I was just moved when I thought about that, and just the great love that God has for his children that are so undeserving of it. But Jesus said, Whosoever shall do the will of God, the same as my brother, my sister, my mother. And he also said in John 10, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they follow me. So are you part of the family of God? If you're not, then become part of the family of God today. Turn from your sin and turn to Christ. As we get ready to close, if you are a child of God, search your heart. Ask God to show you where you need to be more committed to the word and will of God. Because there truly is joy to be purchased out of the slave market of sin and brought into the family of God. To no longer be an outcast, but instead to be seated at his table brings us the fullness of joy. It is a joy to be adopted as the sons and daughter of God. So knowing all that he has done for us, knowing, Christian, that, that he has loved you so, knowing that he has, is calling you lovingly, even if you've gone astray, and even if you're being disobedient, how could we not desire to be more committed to him and to love him more? Let's be obedient to God. He is worthy of our obedience. And it does bring us the fullness of joy. It does bring blessings. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.